Off top, did you know that human skin can't feel wetness? Just heat and touch. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Welcome to the Dominique Foxworth Show. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Kevin hey buddy. Clark. I don't believe up, that. Charlie? You are so lucky <laughs> that neither one of us are Pablo Torre with that off top. Why? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I do not. Pablo is a gross human being. But um, I have a story to tell that I already told you, Charlie, that I feel like we must bring it to the podcast audience. And it is so unbelievable. I guess uh, probably a lot of people listening to this might follow me on social media, which I don't do much posting. But I had to tweet that I was out on New Year's Eve. And a man walked up to me at the bar. I'm with my wife. And he says, Trey? like kind of a knowing question mark and i was like i just assumed he was looking for his friend trey i was like oh no 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 i'm not trey and then he doubled down no no trey young trey young i was like no sir i am not trey young and i was in shock and so eventually my wife and i left and went to a different restaurant and had dinner and we were home early like 10 o'clock ish like ready and it just hit me again like this (laughs) i was trey young and I know what Trey Young looks like, but I still had to Google Trey Young. And it was like, ooh, I was looking for a feature, yeah. like from complexion. And I all I found was Trey is listed as 6'1", and I'm 5'11". So we are the same height-ish. Like, that, that is it. Nothing that's else about us. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, that's, Real the, worst, tough that's the worst part of it. I will, I will not stand for the Trey Young hair slander because my hairline is creeping back. So as a member of the not great hair society. That is the only thing that I guess we have in common for. And he's 25. <laughs> like I, I wish, or 26, I wish that I could credibly pass. So, and not that you have to ask, but of course this was probably like yeah, a 60 yeah. year old white guy, 58 something. It was great. Yeah. It was, it was so outrageous that I couldn't even be mm. offended. It was like, this is just <laughs> immaculate anyway. Welcome to the Dominique Fox Surf Show. We had some really good college football, and we have the right person here to unpack it all with us, the polka-dotted Kevin Clark. By the way, all jokes aside, I love polka dots. I hadn't I worn this jacket in a while, and I decided to just bring it out. It's a festive jacket. It's, it's not – it's a memorable jacket. So when you have clothes like that, can't you wear can't it all wear the time. Well, you also get a lot of YouTube comments and stuff when I bring this out. I believe I wore this once with the Rosillo Slow News Day. People called it a war crime. Um, A lot of like out of work (laughs) magician, which is like I don't like (laughs) magician is a freelance job. It's a contract job. It's hard to be an out of work magician. Like it's not like. Well, I mean, you could have. I guess you could be like, uh, like David Copperfield or something. A where steady you stream have, of gigs, like, a standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But most, most magi- most magicians, you are, you're right. They're like yeah. going from job to job. But I will say that I think, how can I say this in a way that's not insulting? Because I don't mean it to be insulting. I think it's because you're yeah. wearing it that they made the. I feel like that was yeah. the not insulting route. No, I just meant like yeah. they're shocked uh, at your style. Like, That's, give off. Yeah, there's like, no way to say this. So, That's so not you insulting. see me I'm in sorry. a polka dot jacket, and you think this is an unsuccessful magician. Like, 
No, okay. no, 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 no. I say I see my guys taking a chance and he's landing it. But I think all these other people, I'm guessing if you mm-hmm. look at the screenshots of the people who are saying this, they probably don't got the heart to take a chance. And they thought you was one of them. You're not one of them. You can take a chance. Those cowards. That's all. I won is what you're saying. Yeah, I, I won. I won. I do a good job, Charles. W. Yeah. 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 I agree. Good job. You, Thanks, you bud. look fantastic. Charlie, what do you want to talk about first? Uh, let's. Yeah. We got to talk some college football. Um, we've got Hi. Kevin Clark who predicted I the did. Michigan victory on mm. Paul Feinbaum show, angering all the SEC fans. Um, so that game, yeah, let's talk about that game. Let's dig into it because I think it was the worst best football game I can remember in a college football playoff. Like the special teams, Alabama center being unable to snap the ball, uh, Jalen Milrow being incredibly erratic, Michigan playing only spurts yeah. of the game well. Um, but after that result. Do you feel like Michigan was actually the better team? Well, okay. So I do. They got away with some of their shortcomings because Alabama played a very sloppy game. If the snap is higher and Milrow follows his pulling guard, we might be having a completely different conversation today. But there's this narrative, and I think this is the first modern college football playoff. I think that we're going to look back on this and say this was the beginning of something. Because if you're familiar with 24-7 talent composite or blue chip ratio or whatever – Michigan and Washington should not be competing for a national championship. That is not following the recruiting trends of, of the country, of the game. I mean, this is this is completely uh, uncharted waters as far as uh, the quote-unquote talent makeup of these teams. Now, you augment that with the portal. You augment that with what seems to be on Michigan's side basically an NFL staff if you look at what, the, what they're trying to do as far as borrowing coaches yeah. from the Ravens, all that stuff. But also, I was looking at this the other day. On the PFF, they have a, a big board of, of all 100 and 256 picks or whatever it should be. Michigan has 15 players who look like they're going to get drafted. So, like, we can't just be like, oh, well, they, well, what, with the miracle on ice, you know, oh my God, I can't believe they closed the gap on Alabama. They've gotten, they've closed the gap on talent. Now, Alabama has more five star recruits on its roster than the entire Big Ten. They had, perhaps, if you look at the recruiting patterns, oh my God, they had, most the most talented me down. roster basically by recruiting in the history of, of football um their blue chip ratio was something like 94 percent. if you, that just means four and five stars versus three and two stars and so but how do you negate that inconsistent offense throughout the year sloppy mistakes and even like like Michigan had free runners yesterday all over the place. J.C. Latham, a huge prospect, gets blown off the ball in the last play of the game. Basically trips up Milrow, which compounded the, the the low snap. And so I just think that what we're seeing here is teams finding ways to bridge the talent gap. That means development, which I've always found to be overrated, but it means being a good coach team with an identity. I mean, like Michigan almost reminds me of the Lions a little bit where you can skip steps in the build when you have an identity, you know what you want. They want to be a physical, tough team along the lines, along the front seven. We saw that yesterday. They're an aggressive team. I already mentioned Jesse Minter replacing Mike McDonald from the Ravens. They're doing basically a, a coach exchange thing, you know, study abroad, go go to college for two years, then come back and be the Ravens DC. That'll probably happen when Mike McDonald becomes the, the a head coach, you know, in, in a month. Um, and so I just think it's, we're starting to see college football change in front of our eyes. And Washington's even bigger indictment of this, but Alabama, an inconsistent, overrated team in the SEC, um, losing like that is the sign, not of things to come, because I'm sure they'll be back, but it's a sign of the, of, of the college football world flattening. 
So as um, you said, a lot of things that are really interesting. And the one that I want to jump on first, aside from a Michigan coach taking over the coordinator job in Baltimore, which I think should be reserved for my college teammate, Denard Wilson. Mm. That's a whole nother conversation. I, um, I think what is interesting is in this analytics heavy world and it's not just analytics as much as it's human nature we'd like to be able to say that things are better or worse and we like to assign some value to certain things and i say this when you're talking about recruiting and getting four and five stars saying that a player is four and five star or four or five star player is the best recruit i think most of the time means that they are better than the other players and it's accurate it's not to say that the i'm not arguing that the way we grade recruits is wrong I'm sure there's some biases in the system, but to your point, when you are, when you understand what you want to be and what you want to do, you can recruit to that ability. And so while you may have a two or three star, it's like how Belichick always, we always point to Belichick and he says, I focus on what the players do well and, and not what they can't do. If you're like, all right, we want to be physical, hard nosed. Let me over index on, these bull rush monster up front, maybe they're not going to be able to do all these other things. Maybe they won't be the highest NFL grade, but if they fit in our system and they do what we want us to do well, then that could be a fast track. And of course that makes your lane for success slim. It's like if somehow you get caught in a style of game that you don't want to be in, or you're not uh, equipped to participate in. And if like, frankly, if uh, last night it felt I feel like we are at a place with the progress of the way that we talk about quarterbacks, that we can be honest about Jalen Milrow and his ability to attack down the field. If they have a quarterback that has a better ability to attack down the field, the the way that they were aggressively attacking, long story short, you ain't going to do that against, against Michael Penix Jr., I promise you, you're not going to blitz and then blitz and then blitz and then blitz. You're leaving your guys isolated. And Alabama obviously has the athletes to make big plays. The reason why they weren't connecting and making them pay down the field was because Milrow didn't seem to have the time. And he's like not a prolific passer. The best thing they did offensively with him was design quarterback runs, which is why on that last play, I think it's a misunderstanding. And we talked about it a lot this morning on TV. I I imagine by the time people get to this podcast, they might know that that last play was not, I mean, it seemed like a run pass option and it it looked a lot like what the Eagles do uh, down in those situations. So arguing that that was a bad play call, I think is. Are you saying Eagles have good play calls? Because I haven't seen those lately. No, (laughs) the Eagles do not have good play calls, but I think it's a smart thing to do when you have that quarterback and the the tough thing is that they probably were not expecting a a snap and a (laughs) should have been. Yeah, they should have been. And and it gets harder when you're facing a zero blitz. Everything speeds up. Everything speeds up. You don't have the time to have a a low snap Uh, against a zero blitz. And I want to talk about the defense and what you were saying about recruiting to the scheme. So uh, if I may drop a nugget, this is um, I was talking to a coach over the summer and they were talking about Michigan and they were saying, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're calling them nuggets and not name drops? Well, I can't really say who the coach was. We weren't really on the record. Uh, Okay, so it's a nugget. It's a nugget when you can't. I got plenty of name drops coming. I mean, I just, I got, I got oh, a lot, I got wait, a lot, and wait. I just booked, I just, no, no big deal in the last hour, I just booked one of the best quarterbacks in football for Super Bowl week, so, I don't know, be ready, be ready, Ooh, be on your toes. Shout out, shout out, um, Allison Turner. Oh, I don't work with anymore. Yeah. 
Oh, that's right. She's amazing. With us now. She's amazing. Sorry, we probably should have um, that out. But yeah, just, or, or just leave it <laughs> in. Shout, shout out Allison Turner. Allison Turner. Allison Turner. That's, that's, the, that's in the business. Yeah. Um, but uh, they were saying essentially one thing that, that Michigan funny. wants to do is play NFL style defense. A couple of reasons on that. Number one, number one thing college quarterbacks don't want to see in this this era, complicated pressures. They do not want to see that. They want to see, let's spread them out. Let's see the simplest stuff. Do the re- run pass option. We'll figure it out. Every defense is, is oriented towards that. And Michigan says, guess what we're going to do? We're going to run NFL pressures at you, and you're going to have no idea what's going to go on. This happens over the course of the year. It's not specific to yesterday. But I thought that was interesting. You get You make things more complicated on defense. And you recruit guys who can do that, and things will things will happen. I would, te- I, I think there's a lot of zags. Like the, the most famous, one of the most famous stories about Belichick and the way he views scheme is he switched from a three four to the four three because he made the three four so popular that nose tackle is really hard to get. So he was just like, all right, well, I created this thing. I got to change it up because I can't get nose tackle anymore. So let's flip it. I'll go to a four three. Get guys with a hand in the dirt on the outside, all that stuff. I think the way college football has become so homogenous on some of these things they think you can flip it and recruit towards the scheme and get a real advantage where you say okay i'm not going to get a five star like i just mentioned the stat about alabama uh and and their five stars i'm not going to get a five star what i can get is a high three star who can play this role this left outside linebacker role in our scheme exactly the way i wanted to do and i can i can blow jc latham off the ball uh late in the rose ball it's it's a, a bit of an oversimplification, but I think that's a smart way to approach football in general. If you notice, like, if you look at what the 49ers mm-hmm. are doing in the NFL, it's attacking the areas of the of the field that we have deemed uh, yes. low-value positions. So, like, attacking the linebackers and the safeties. If you're going to play well against the 49ers, you're going to need the Ravens roster, which is really good linebackers and really good safeties. It's the same thing happening in college. And and frankly, it's a good strategy, no matter what business you are in is attack the areas where other people aren't focused, but it takes a good and a confident coach to zig while others are, are zagging. Charlie, you look like you had something to say. No, no, no. I just want to ask. So we're we're now talking about the Michigan defense and how they've been able to progress this. We should talk about the other game and how it fits into it, which is like Michael Penix Jr. in Washington and someone who looked like, I don't know, the best player in college football mm-hmm. as he torched Texas and how he was completely electric. So 430, um, two touchdowns. It was outraging. Yeah. It wasn't even the numbers as much as it was how he did it. It reminded me, I brought this up uh, this morning, CJ yeah. Stroud, how we talked about CJ Stroud all last year as like, okay, he's good. And then he went into that yes. um, playoff game. We were like, oh, wow. It really took notice. And that's what it felt like with Penix is, I know he has an injury history that like hurts his, I guess I shouldn't to motivate. Two ACLs. Yeah. I shouldn't spin it to NFL prospect just yet, but well, I will I say. I do have a follow-up on that. We'll get there. I will say that those throws, man, I just, I kept thinking yes. Aaron Rodgers with the way that he was just drilling those seam bucket throws over the middle. And, like I, oh yeah. And the bucket throws, the deep ones, they were insane. crazy. And, and I just, he's a transformational quarterback like he's a it reminds me i would never yeah, compare mm-hmm. the two but i remember what well, i'm gonna pr- compare the two um no the uh i remember <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago a couple of years ago 12 years ago 13 years ago i was watching uh like the post-game wrap-up show they issue with like mark may and lou holtz and those guys and and uh-huh. cam newton had the auburn like nine and oh and and reese great question asker said 
hey guys, what would have happened if Cam Newton went to Mississippi State? Because that was the big story there. And I say Mississippi State would be nine and zero, playing for the national championship in a couple of weeks. And I remember thinking like, that's no oversimplification. And you're like, wait, no, it's not. Cam Newton can do whatever he wants. And like you saw the drafted players in Auburn a couple of years later, it was all Cam Newton. And I don't think Michael Penix is to that level. Obviously, Cam Newton is is probably the second best quarterback, college quarterback I've seen in my life behind Tim Tebow. Um, in fact, they were on the same roster. was is incredible to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, oh, I'll dare you. Sorry, like I, I, that is a compliment. I, I, if he's the second best college quarterback I've ever seen, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. He only played one okay. year Proceed. in Division One A as a starter. Um, so I think that. Penix is the type, again, we go back to modern college football. Washington is going to be the first team ever if they win the national championship to do it without a five-star on their roster, okay? TCU had a five-star on their roster last year. Um, that did not mattering, but I'm just saying, like, you can accidentally get five stars in this, and and Washington doesn't, doesn't have one. Um, he throws the best deep ball in the sport. Um, it's just a tough, well-coached team. Um, and I just, I've, I've fallen in love with this. Um, and I think, you know, the team's going through the portal now and getting a quarterback and a couple other guys, Michigan, I think has, has more guys and they're too deep from transfers than the Washington does, but going out and getting one transformational player. I've always said high school recruiting determines the floor portal recruiting determines the ceiling. Um, and everybody keeps saying, well, the best players don't go into the portal and that's true, but, but. Yeah, you, you were about to say. I've always said that this year in the new college football. I've always said that. I've always said that for a year. Over the past three years, teams like Georgia, Alabama, they don't lose starters in the portal, but only four or five players, only four or five schools get the best players. So every other, there's a hundred and however many there are, 120 schools that literally have to do this stuff by patchwork. And literally the dream is hitting on a guy like Michael Penix who can bring everything together. And I think we're going to mm-hmm. be looking back on this in a very special way. I think I think he's an NFL player. I think he's a first-round pick. I don't care necessarily about the ACLs unless there's some – your doctor looks at it and says, okay, this guy's going to blow his ACL in the first month of an NFL player. Like, I think – you know what you do if he says that exactly you find like uh, like the Dolphins doctor with Drew Brees, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but I think exactly a lot of scouts I've talked to over the past couple of months have been like, why didn't we see C.J. Stroud coming as the first overall pick when we saw what he did to Georgia, mm-hmm. which is as close to an NFL defense as you can possibly get? There's a proof of concept there. He torched them, and all of a sudden, Michael Penix is even though he struggled as the season went on. Like when you see a guy do that to a high level talented defense, that's an NFL proof of concept. I, I just I think we we project so much. We say, oh, what about this guy? This guy? Hey, look, look at the actual things that he's able to do. That is going to work in the NFL. In this college football playoff, I think, you know, JJ McCarthy. Some people have as a top ten pick. Yeah. Who looks? I mean, obviously, he's got a huge physical tools. He's a big guy. He's very fast. He can throw the ball really far. He was far less impressive playing against Alabama's defense compared to what Penix did in his semifinal. Also, though, game. the first play of, of the game, he. Panics also has yeah, in the first play of the game, McCarthy looked like yeah. a contest winner. He just threw it right. He was like, ah, I don't know. And he threw it to an Alabama player who thankfully didn't declare back in, in by. Like, he does make mistakes. His numbers haven't been haven't been gaudy. There have been a lot of stats about what's been happening after the Connor Stallion scandal, which I thought were disingenuous. They were playing better teams as the season went along. Um, mm-hmm. But I just think you, you just saw a rut when they played Big Ten defenses. I think Big Ten defenses, their numbers have been sort of over – uh, overblown. Like I think if you look at the top 10 defense in the country, like eight of them are big 10 defenses because um, they just sit around not scoring any points against each other. But J.D. McCarthy to me did not do anything special enough to get into that top 10, especially when you consider 
how deep that is. I mean, you're talking about Caleb Williams, Drake May. I think Jaden Daniels would probably be number three for me. And then Michael Penix would be number four for me. Yeah. And then you have Bo yeah. Nix, who, like, I don't know how you, how you guys would view that. But, like, he's another guy, a proof of concept guy who's put up a lot of good throws. Yeah. Uh, I wonder – so I don't want to spin too far into the um... – Harbaugh to the NFL conversation, but it does feel like it's his New last agent. Don Yee. agent. It does feel like it's his last season. He went and got Don Yee, which I guess people are making a connection to Brady and uh, the oh. Vegas Raiders, which I, I'm not sure why he would make that move when uh, there's Herbert sitting there begging for Have you, Are you familiar a with the Google, get, a, get a laptop up and uh, Google the Spanos family, and you might have your answer. Oh. Oh, hmm. oh, uh, them not spending money. Is that what we're talking and about? Meddling yeah. and that, that might make that sense. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, fair point. I got one more QB draft question for both of you guys, because I think Stroud was sort of discounted because of Marvin Harrison Jr., Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. Is a tiny bit of that happening with Penix because he was playing in a Pac-12 offense? He has a top 10 picket receiver. Are we seeing that situation sometimes can it's. It can be talent, yeah. not just situation, even in college offenses. Because we've seen Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12 quarterbacks be discounted because of the situation. Not just situation. I don't think people are watching them. Like, I think the, 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 one, mm -hmm. of the, one of the underlying truths of college football is that most people talking about college football do not watch college football. And they're not up at 1 a.m. watching. And especially the NFL guys who have Sunday morning, you know, we got to watch Jake Glazer's Splash Report. I got, I'm locked in on Jake Glazer's Splash Report. Um, and so, like, the idea that – Everybody, all of these guys who are watching, who are watching from like 11 a.m. to, to 1 a.m. on Saturday, like it's just not the same group of people. And so I think Pac-12 guys are always dinged because they don't play in the Fox noon, big noon Saturday game or the, you know, the CBS SEC 3:30 game. Like you are dinged because of visibility always. I mean, on demand watching works also. You don't have to watch them live and then watch the stuff. Yeah, but morning. what about you know, what, what if it's, I got? What if I want to rewind Schefter on Sunday morning? Yeah. <laughs> you rewind them because yeah. we have. No, that's what I'm saying. Then, then all of a whatever. sudden, what I'm watching Washington State. I'm watching Cam Ward <laughs> against Oregon State, and I miss Schefter. <laughs> um. Uh, so Harbaugh's yep. leaving. We accept that. Do you guys at all care? I don't really care about the cheating scandal anymore. I also don't really care about the Florida State conversation. I None don't care about the Florida State really thing. I, okay, me, can I do ten seconds on both those things? Bunch of Number losers one, at Florida State. The, the thing I feel bad about for Florida State, Danny Canal. The thing I feel bad about. Oh well, that, that's not fair. That's the thing not I feel fair. bad about Florida State. Is that? Again, we're talking about minor college football. They pushed all of their chips into the table for this year. Right? They retained a bunch of guys. They spent a bunch of NIL on this year. They yeah. got a guy like Keon Coleman, who's basically, the, in baseball terms, like a one-year rental. Comes from Michigan State. Knows, knows he's going to leave after the year. Already has. Bunch of old guys, COVID seniors. Like, they had a bunch of elder millennials on the team. Those guys are going to opt out to go to, like, a Blink-182 concert. Like, that's how old they are. And so now, like, they've got nothing – I doubt. I doubt it. I, maybe. Yeah, that's what elder right? millennials do. That's what elder millennials do, Dominic. I mean, you should have. I mean, you should have got. I mean, we should have got a rapper or who's, somebody. Who's, who's, who's the outcast? There we go. That's that's perfect. That's right. That would have worked for everybody. You would go. You would go to a Blink One Eighty Two concert with us. You would. Me? Yeah, you'd love it. I don't. I mean, I'd go for the last. I don't know any Blink One Eighty Two. Would songs. after that. Hey, listen. But all, all the small. All things, the small. What's things? my age again? Oh, all the. 
Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. They're, aren't they They're from, from like Maryland? Uh, San Diego. They're from San yeah, Diego. What so. the hell just happened? Uh, uh, nope. They are. You think of Good Charlotte. You think of Good Charlotte. Yeah. Oh. Good Charlotte. Why are they named okay. Charlotte if they're not from Charlotte? Completely this is, different get it together. levels of fame and get success. Get it together. That's like saying, that's literally, that's, confu- that's like confusing Michael Jordan for like Keon Doolin. That's what just happened there. And Pop Punk. Not at all. Hey, listen, <laughs> uh, I have a question, Dominic. I wanted to ask you because I thought you were going to bring up the Connor Stallions. Thing. All right. Through whatever reason, how many times have you defended a play where you knew exactly what was going to happen and how much did it help? Um, it helped a lot and it's happened, I don't know, tens of times over the course of my career, college and pro. Would that be yeah. because probably close oh, to a hundred? Would that times, be because you knew you, a key, college. you figured out a keyword or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, a, a or, or like in college offenses are pretty simple. So I think about, um, NC state, like I knew what play they were running almost every play because they ran bunch concepts. Yeah. There was only three or four plays that we, that we could see against NC state when, um, when we played them. So yeah, there are times when, and in the NFL, there are some keys that you can pick up on. So you're not 100% certain, but you have a good feeling and it helps a tremendous amount to know that you don't that exactly where you have to cover. Doesn't mean it's going to, you can stop it. No, it doesn't. Most plays are designed. So they have other options and that they should work in other ways. And you're still going up against really talented, good players. But I also remember knowing that um, Calvin Johnson was going to run a dig when he was quarterback by Reggie ball. And it didn't matter. I was standing there waiting for the dig and Calvin's big climbed the ladder and caught it and landed on me and it was sad and painful at the same last thing wouldn't connor stallions be an amazing podcast guest who knows more about college football than him no i don't want to oh gosh i guess he would be but um i can we talk florida state a little bit i mean do you guys do you feel like them getting their would meant anything as far as justification for the um for them being left out of playoffs or vindication for the um, committee should they, I mean, not that they needed it, Charlie. Georgia would have won the playoff okay. is what I got from that game. <laughs> <laughs> so they were both, the committee was both shamed and vindicated by that game. It was like, we you should gotta be- win the games. Georgia lost to Bama, but they're definitely the best team. <laughs> well, you can't say you got to win the games while also having a team that won the games. Uh, that's what I'm saying. That was, there was no good outcome for the committee in that game. I guess the worst possible outcome would have been Florida State blowout that Georgia, but happen. no one thought I think that was going to happen. So I think Florida State should have undoubtedly gotten in the 14 playoff. I think leaving out a Power 5 undefeated team was a bad precedent. By the way, both undefeated teams in the playoff advanced. Justice for the BCS. But justice for the Bama. Just Ooh, bring it back. Bring it back. Um, I think that... <laughs> I think there's two separate conversations. I think that it doesn't say anything about their playoff chance or what they should have, what they should have, what the committee should have done. I don't think it says anything about that. I do think that it's a bit dis- disingenuous to be like this meant nothing. It was an exhibition. You lost by sixty points. It's a bunch of guys who are going to play for you next year. It's either your backups or your young guys, the guys you develop, the guys who weren't from the portal. I do think it probably suggests that there's going to be a. I don't. I don't want to say falling off a cliff there, but like. I didn't see I didn't see the cavalry there uh, where I'm like, uh oh, they're going to be a problem in 2024. And maybe they're going to add 20 guys in the portal or whatever. I'm going to see some maybe it's going to be some incredible development. I'll say that, that they should have made the playoffs, but losing by 60 to Georgia, especially in the second half when they had a bunch of their backups, and they were playing Will Muschamp's kid and he was doing his little like 
like, have you guys ever seen Nate Tice's Rose Bowl highlight where he's just running through the defense because they're just like, well, let's just give Nate Tice some run in the Rose Bowl. They had, they had, they had <laughs> Will Muschamp's kid doing that against Florida State's second string. And oh, that's not good. Gosh. That's not good for anybody. And so um, I think it probably suggests something about the program of Florida State, but it doesn't suggest anything about the, the, the committee's decision they, sh- they should have been in. I mean, this was the best case yeah. for the committee. I mean, no one's gonna no one's gonna continue to cape for Florida State um, after yeah. they lost by six. No, the fact that Bama, a, I don't know if you're Michigan deep into close. Florida State Twitter, but uh, they're they're on this one. Yeah, but college football fans are crazy. They'll always find a way to defend their team. That that's a given. I'm talking yeah. about the, the general public. Gen Gen Pop <laughs> is not going to be like, oh my god, the committee got it so wrong because. We, we would have rather seen Florida State lose by 60 against Michigan. The only two people who wanted that matchup were Michigan fans who wanted it even more than Florida State fans and Florida State fans. Like <laughs> the people who were loudest about Florida State getting in the playoff were Michigan yeah. people, which uh, tells you everything. Like the, uh, they were good win, devastated when they found out they had to play Alabama in the room. They were more the out the yeah. the Michigan fans were more devastated about having to play Alabama than the Florida State fans were when they figured out they weren't going to get like they was bad that in that room. I'm being a little bit facetious, yeah. but not by much. Who's going to win the national championship, Dominic? Um, Washington, Michael Penix, and the Washington Huskies are going to be a five starless um, national champion. I agree. Well, uh, it's going to be Washington, but hey, what what was your rating? Three star. Okay, out of here. This. The disrespect. Were you a five star? Not a five star. Get out of here. Were you a? They they wanted to, they wanted to give me six, but I said no thanks. Recruiting yes. rankings don't yes, go back do. that far. I've googled yes, this they, before. I've got your do. Wikipedia. They There's do. no answer. They do. I'm sure my dad still has the magazines in the basement. I was absolutely a five star. I was running a fraudulent four three five. Five star by school. who? So yes, I was a five star. By everybody, by rivals, by all the, the people who measured that back up. then. Would you think I would lie to you? I can, I'm telling you. Listed NC State, and Purdue, and Pittsburgh picture. among the 13 scholarship offers he received. Um, benched, ooh, benched 230 and squats 345 and carried a GPA of better than 3.0. Is that you being humble? Proceed <laughs> with your reading, sir. Uh, consensus all state. All right, here we go. Third best player in the region overall by Super Prep, and sixth rated. I don't really know what Super Prep is, but we're gonna we're gonna roll with it. Uh, sixth rated defensive back in the country. So that sounds like a four star to me, buddy. What the? How? That is the dumbest I've ever heard. Sixth rated defensive back in the entire country. There's only thirty two five stars per year on twenty four seven, and I. I, w- oh, I don't know what 24-7 is. It wasn't around when I was around, but I was a five-star. We got all the magazines to prove it. So you and your polka dot jacket can they're, get the they're out all, of here because your boy was a five-star. In 2023 top cornerback recruits, there were two five-stars. Nice. This year there were... Yeah. I was one of them. Oh. Yeah, okay. You if if I mean, I, I believe you. I'm not going to... It doesn't matter. No, no, it doesn't I mean, matter. It's not, we're just, it's like a tough 24 hours. He's three-star three star Trey Young. There was that one, there was one cornerback. I just feel disrespected that you would you would be confused if I was a five-star or not. Like, of course I was a five-star. I, I am not seeing yeah, a lot of evidence that the sixth-ranked defensive back would be a five-star. Okay. 
Yeah, gotcha. see, based on based on how angry you are, it's real four star energy. Okay, cool. All right, I'll be a four star, guys. I'm a four star amongst how many stars did you guys have? We didn't try. Okay, there we, we go. You good? Very good. Very good. There we go. We're All back right, to we're start. back to his crutch. Right, we're crutch. It's not a crutch. You I you two, the NFL, you, you two as, as it is in this image, you two are the crutches that I stand on. A bunch of mediocres, just like your shirt says. Be vanilla. You two vanillas. Nothing special about you vanillas. Get some some cookie dough in there. Something. Some chocolate flavor. Borings. All right. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we dug into the So Big yeah. Waz is here? Good. <laughs> Thank goodness. Bye. Beat it, polka dots. <laughs> Uh, thank guys. you kevin you're welcome kevin now let's talk about the play of the week the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play and boom on yeho tequila came in with a smooth assist to hypnotic's tropical fruit finish shaken strained poured it was green and good the playmaking splash shifted the tempo another great cocktail from the hypnotic team Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DF. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, off of that uh, interesting gang up for you two nerds, I got my boy here. Genuine big, curiosity. Big walls. It was disrespectful. Like, it's, I it's, I just would assume, I guess maybe I don't follow recruiting like you guys. I didn't realize it was as rare as it was, but I do remember being quite excited when I was, like, a junior in high school. Like, 
the magazines. I saved all the magazines and my dad has it in the basement that said I was five star. I was never the thing that I didn't like was some of them had me. I didn't play corner in high school. I played safety. And so some mm-hmm. of them had me. I was too small to play corner. I mean, to play safety. So some of them had me at a corner, despite the fact that I didn't play corner. But a lot of them had me as a five star, but listed as athlete. And I was like, that's. <laughs> so, so just so the listeners know, I was backstage listening to this entire conversation and I genuinely was curious. I was like, damn, I wonder if Dominique was a five star, not because you weren't an excellent athlete, Dominique. I was questioning whether Maryland was getting five star mm-hmm. recruits uh, at uh, the time. Yeah. So it was more of a Maryland thing for me than Dominique and his greatness. Yeah, they, they were not they were not very good, but they had some really good recruiters that we mm-hmm. won the, the um ACC that year. So we were we had some talent. Uh, EJ Henderson was on that team. Pretty good guys. We got some five stars. But anyway, Charlie. Be vanilla, baby. Okay. So he has on a shirt, really? by the way, that says "Be vanilla" from our beloved ice cream <laughs> ice creamer. Yeah, the greatest ice cream. One creamer of our, in. my only fan, our, <laughs> our Virginia Beach ice cream maker, who's a, a fan of the show. So shout out to you again, Sunday Scoops. Um, all right. So we're gonna talk some NBA. Season is starting to heat up. We had a really interesting December, and we're gonna start with a story that sort of heated up five days ago when there was a report that Durant was a tiny bit frustrated with this situation in Phoenix and Phoenix knows that he's a little bit frustrated. It calmed down a little bit. Their big three of KD, Bradley Beal and Devin Booker got their first win together of the season um, over the weekend, which is crazy because now we are in January. Um, But it's still lingering that Durant might not be completely happy with the situation he created. Do you feel that his frustration in Phoenix is justified? Hell no. (laughs) How could it be? Like, this is literally KD once again getting exactly what he wanted and then crying about it later. Uh, It's just what it is. Um, Again, Golden State, he went there of his own volition, free agency, won two championships in the third year. He was miserable. He moped around. The entire season, they almost won the championship anyway, but for um, a couple of catastrophic injuries to him and Klay Thompson, again, KD orchestrated that, got exactly what he wanted, then started crying about it. Brooklyn, free agency, teamed up with Kyrie, made them even throw DeAndre Jordan in there for no damn reason whatsoever. (laughs) He got exactly what he wanted, then started crying about it. Now he's forced his way to Phoenix. Like, this was your idea. This wasn't, you know, a couple of um, past trades of superstars come to mind. Um, Paul George had been angling to go to L.A. forever while he was in Indiana. They shipped his to the prairie, right? Um, And he eventually made his way to L.A., but, like, he got shipped to the prairie. Okay, then remember Kawhi Leonard, he was angling like, yo, guys, like, I'm really trying to do this L.A. thing. I'm tired of the river walk. I'm tired of barbecue. Um, Get me back to Southern California. They shipped his to Canada. Um, And and it should be noted. The frozen tundra. I'll never forget Kawhi Leonard's introductory news conference with the Clippers um, where this is the first time he's talking to media as a Clipper. And he's getting asked all these questions about being in L.A. And he said, well, this is the first time I've actually gotten a chance to choose my destination in my workplace. I obviously got drafted by San Antonio and then I got traded to Canada. 
He didn't say to the Raptors or to Toronto. <laughs> he said, then I got traded to Canada, right? So th this is not what happened to KD. KD got traded to a team that everybody understood he wanted to be there. Did he not have the basketball acumen to realize what the situation in Phoenix was? I don't think that's the case. And so, like, this idea that he's, quote, unquote, frustrated, like, bro, this is what you wanted. So I I, I um, am not surprised that Big Walls came down on that side. And I know where Charlie stands because Charlie's a perpetual Kevin Durant hater. And I... <laughs> I, I can't, you are, you hate him. You hate on him all the time. You undercut him and you try to act like I'm crazy for trying to defend him. But I. No, 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 no. Oh, that's gaslighting. No, go ahead. Please say your piece. No, I mean, I agree with everything that Waz said. He even chose how his market was going to play out when he got traded from Brooklyn to Phoenix. He basically told ownership, let's just do this quiet. We'll do it under the table. This is the only place I'm going to go. He chose the deal. And I think he's partially upset because they had to trade good players and all of the assets to get him. And he still got Bradley Beals on a discount. He still got Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton out of there because he didn't like that situation. And so like this yeah. is beyond everything what he's choosing. And the thing is, he has to make this work. We're talking about you call me a hater because I expect Kevin Durant. No, no, no. To, OK, so you said you perform said your part. like one of the best players of all time. He is he one is. of the best. players. OK, you said your part. Yeah, but I, I will say this as. <laughs> As Kevin Durant has said himself, y'all know who I am. So of course they're gonna have to empty the the um the tr the chest in order to get him there. And yeah, the Ross is gonna be thin. Pulling out the Bill deal was impressive. That's fine. I get it. I cannot argue against anything that you guys are saying about him choosing his situations, perpetually being disappointed, and that's fine. But I can say that saying that he's frustrated. It's not in your control whether you're frustrated or not. Maybe it's in your control whether you put it out or not. My point is, yes. I can understand. I can understand why Kevin Durant and Russell Wilson's probably a bad comp, but I think about him in this similar way and that Russell Wilson felt like he was uh, on this trajectory to take over the league after uh, Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers and them went out. But then... Mahomes and Herbert and Allen showed up and Lamar Jackson showed up and then the Russell Wilson era never happened. And that's not fair for Kevin Durant because obviously he's much better than that. But I think about Kevin Durant as physically one of the best basketball players ever to pick up a basketball. And it's an outrageous thing that I've said on this show before, but I think it makes sense is he's the only person to have a uh, amazing outstanding unbelievable all-time great career and also have a disappointing career in some ways with all-time teammates at every stop yeah and so like i get why he see this is where i call him a hater i'm right now you we just spent we spent we spent 10 minutes listening That's to fact. hold on i didn't need that i don't need that that seasoning not while i'm trying to build a case i didn't say it wasn't a fact but i need that seasoning that's all i'm saying and when he was in Golden State, he was clearly the the best player on that situation in those two championships at that time. You can argue all the all you want that Steph did, oh, gravity, everything Steph did. They needed a bucket who they run to play for, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, at different points in his career, career has been a rim protector while also being the primary offensive fulcrum on offenses. There are not very many people in the league that you can say have done that in the history league. So my point is that I can understand when you are this special a player and you have, you don't even have to look back on your career. You have the experience that he's had in his career. I can understand just being generally frustrated with where things stand 
in your career and at this moment. Is it right? No, but lots of us make lots of decisions. It's like saying you chose to work where you where you work now, but that don't mean you're not allowed to be frustrated when stuff gets a little uncomfortable. So it's fine for him to be frustrated. That's the thing that confuses me is why everybody got to be mad at him for being frustrated. Okay, he made a bad choice, a series of bad choices that didn't work out, but he still could be frustrated because he's great. But the problem for me with KD is that like he's just not a leader of men. Um, as for mm -hmm. as talented as he is, KD is a guy who's just going to show up, do his job, and basically live in a silo outside of that. And so, yeah, it's nice that he, you know, does these nice handles and fadeaways and all of that. But the sort of intangible stuff, the glue stuff, the idea that, you know, I don't know, a guy that you just mentioned, Dominique, Steph Curry, can win a yeah. championship in 2022. It's because he's a fantastic leader. Um, he allows that team to function in such a way that, Steph Curry, one of the best players of all time, is egoless, effectively. He is, mm -hmm. um, he's basically like, yo, I'm going to let this offense run through other people. I'm, the ball has energy. Um, I'm going to, like, basically sublimate my ego at every single turn. Um, and the team is going to function in a way that's better because it's galvanized around me. Like, look at Steph Curry be the most selfless Tim Duncan-esque superstar. And the team is allowed to function as this more egalitarian. Everybody feels involved. And they win. The sum of their parts are greater than the whole. Right? They were not more talented than Boston in that series. They were just a better unit, a more together group because their leader is Steph Curry. Right? Right. Okay. KD okay, doesn't okay. provide that for you. And so when it okay. falls apart so, in Brooklyn, he's got this laissez faire. Uh, I don't know why it's falling apart around me. And it's uh, I'm just powerless to stop it. Yo. Okay. I just so have to sit and watch so, it. And then the so, same thing okay. happens in Phoenix. And we're supposed to be like, no, no, KD has nothing to do with KD. Things just fall apart That's around fair. me. He's got the worst luck ever, Dominique. <laughs> That's fair. All right, Charlie. Well, you had something to say. Well, I was going to say, and this is, I'm not ganging up on you. I'm agreeing with. Oh, no, no, no. I'm fine. I'm fine. Because I ain't scared. He left Golden State. He chose Kyrie Irving. That was a terrible decision. It was an unstable decision. And it led to the demise of that situation. When he went to Phoenix. Choosing Bradley Beal, who is a very skilled but older shooting guard who's been incredibly injury prone, that is a bad decision. And what we've seen by the term frustration, sure. If you want to psychoanalyze and be like, he is right to be frustrated because things aren't going as well as he thought they were going to go, of course, in that context, he can be frustrated. But when we hear Kevin Durant being frustrated, yeah, okay. we think he wants out of this situation right. already. It. He and wants change already. And he has picked these situations back to back to back that he's been frustrated each and every time he was frustrated in golden state, even though they're the best team of all time, he was frustrated in Brooklyn with the other two stars he picked. And if he's frustrated now, we're talking about one of the best players of all time where he falls on that list. Like it yeah, is in that group, blow up another situation. That's I genuinely think it's beneath him and he needs to win on his own because he left and Steph won. Well, he, he's proven <laughs> that it's not. He's proven that it's not beneath him. And this is a. It should a, be. This is an argument. Well, it's not. He's done it a number of times, so it's not beneath him. Um, you can argue that it should be. This is an argument that I can't win. So when I can't win an argument, I change the context of it, which is what I've done. So yes, I understand that his that these the outcomes at these um, stops can be attributed in some part to him. But I think that what we're talking about in Steph Curry is a weird 
happenstance alchemy that in, involves his personality, involves his ability, involves the players that happen to be there, the coaches that happen to be there. That's what happens sometimes in history with like teams turn out to be that way. Jor and you could say the same thing about Jordan in the situation that happened with him. It's not to say that he's any less great. You could say LeBron is one of the few guys that we could point to and say, eh, <laughs> he kind of made these situations everywhere he went. So I think that putting this on Kevin Durant is fine, but as long as we put it on him and also understanding what he brings to the table. That's all I'm saying. So it's fine. Blame Kevin Durant for blowing up all these situations or not being a leader of men as was. He said, I'm sorry, I can't be seven feet tall and agile as a six foot two guy while shoot just a little bit less than Steph Curry and defend the rim and also be your friend. I'm sorry. My bad. Bring somebody else Wazzy. in here to be people's friends. Somebody else in here this out. Yeah, I got a Wazzy, I got a question for you because I, I I can't believe I I accidentally just opened Pandora's box of Steph versus Durant again and I listeners Dominique Wozni I apologize. we got a lot of NBA Everyone. topics to get to um, no but no I do want to ask because there's something that I've thought for like the past like year and a half I think it started in that Brooklyn series when Tatum sort of gave it to Durant mm. do you think even though the numbers are still insane like the efficiency is still insane the numbers look really flat to where he was at his prime. Do you feel like he's less of an impactful player than he was? Of course he is. Um, in yeah. the half court, he's just way less likely to go downhill now. Um, it's just not something that's within him to like just get straight all the way to the cup the way that he used to. But again, like LeBron can't just, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> isolate against the guy at the three-point line, two dribbles, and dunk on somebody's head like he used to do in 2010. Like we get it. Like these guys' games evolve like as good as lebron looks we know he's not the 2012 version of himself anymore was a more dominant overwhelming version of lebron kd is a less dominant less overwhelming version of himself um in many ways on offense that's not to say that in a playoff series you know um with the right coaching and the right teammates like he can't be extremely impactful and and be the driver of some major winning it's not to say any of that and and also just to get back to the stuff just to be clear right like I'm somebody who praises Steph's leadership qualities, but some people might argue like, yo, because he's not agitating to deal with Draymond, <clears throat> because he feels very loyal to Clay. Golden State is in the situation that they're in right now. People might say a less patient superstar would have been on a to fix this team in a way that would have been more expedient than what's happening and playing out right now at the end of Steph's problem. So this pros so I, and I cons say, to every yeah. um approach right. mm -hmm. this is something that we often have to remind ourselves and i have to remind myself all this always too is like it's the old saying about silver clouds and or gray clouds and silver linings like every good comes with some bad and yes. they wouldn't have had the success they had if steph wasn't the type of person that he was and they would be set up better for the future if steph was a different person the argument for the way that kevin durant is interpersonally is the argument that you guys are making is that there is no real benefit for the KD personality archetype. There's I'm only not benefit saying for there's the no playing real archetype. benefit. I'm just saying the the ecosystem has to be so perfect right. around mm -hmm. it yeah. that I'm just like my gotcha, lord. Cause, Again, cause the Steph's Brooklyn ecosystem was was a shambles. So glad the, that he fixed it. Not, it's not the one to one comparison though. It's just about this is just about KD because now the, he's the playing Brooklyn with Booker, thing. I will yeah. say again because KD was okay, so instrumental in all of the things that happened. Yeah. Again, for him to sit there and say, I'm just going to sit and watch this thing burn down yeah, is absolutely 
criminal in my mind. Like the That's idea that fair. you couldn't be bothered to lift a finger or say a word about how this thing that everybody understood had this great potential is completely crumbling. And Katie's response is, I'm just here to play hoop. That's absurd to me. And I think yeah, it's and, and I think it's informed some of the results that KD has, you know, been able to get since he's left Golden State. That's all I'm saying. That. That's fine. It's fair. It's right. If he wanted to to be a hands-off type of player and and um leave it all to the GM, then he could have stayed in OKC or he could have stayed in Golden State. OKC is he... the only one I defend because nobody should be forced yeah. to live in the prairie for that long. <laughs> it's <laughs> not even a basketball. Not, not, not a hundred million there. Come on now. That's uh, ridiculous. And he didn't want to play with Russ. And I get yeah. that at, at that point. Um, But the other thing is, like, I actually... I don't know what situation he's going to want. Like he's under contract for a while. He's, he's not going to play with a better player than Devin Booker. Like <laughs> it's hard to imagine he's going to find his basketball Nirvana again, period. Well, he and said he was frustrated. Similar. He didn't say he demands a trade or a new situation. For a trade. I'm sure when yeah, guys get healthy and they not start yet. winning, things are going to be fine again, but it's just crazy to hear that. And again, if you're, I don't know, Devin Booker, <laughs> you got to be thinking to yourself, like, is this dude yeah. invested in what we're doing in here? He's already moping about what the situation is and frustrated. Like, yo, bro, like, this is a long-term project, I thought it was. I thought we was here to win a championship, build something special. Like, and Devin Booker is, like, his career his career and his legacy, like, he's one of those guys, too. And it's going to be yeah. impacted by um, how this team performs. Mm -hmm. All right, Charlie, what's next? Uh, uh, let's, talk, let's talk some Embiid. <laughs> Embiid, uh, he averaged 40. 12 and five on 60, 42, 90 shooting in December. <laughs> and look, I'm going to be honest. Like I have crushed Embiid in the playoffs last year for his performance. I've cr I crushed him for flopping. I thought that Jokic was the best player in the league before the title run. And I, we we've talked off air and on air that I thought it was going to be hard for him to win another MVP this season, which is a long time down the road because of how he performed in the playoffs. But the larger question that I'm actually interested in, because this seems to be, the best basketball player he's played in his life. Do you think he is the best player in the league at this point? And do you think he has reached a point where it will translate into playoff success? No, he's not the best basketball player in the league. That's still the man in Denver. Come on now. Um, the degenerate horse racing fanatic, <laughs> Nikola Jokic. Um, I, I think he's still obviously the best player. Uh, the thing that should be noted about Embiid's success this year is that I think Nick Nurse deserves a lot of credit for mm -hmm. coaching it up. Um, he's putting this guy in different spots on the floor. One of the main Embiid's bugaboos his whole career has been turnovers, how he deals with double teams. Just He's never been a great passer. Nick Nurse has changed his sight lines. He's moved them up on the floor. He's like built a better ecosystem for MB to thrive in. And so like, these are genuine real changes that have happened that I think can carry over to the playoffs. Now, I think the problem for MB is that he's never played like an MVP in the playoffs in his mm -hmm. entire life. And so the idea that he's going to go from what he did last year, which was obviously he wasn't terrible, but he was not of an MVP quality to go from that to MVP quality. I'm, highly dubious and skeptical. I, I won't say that it's impossible, but I, but I think the two things are true. I think, one, he hasn't been an MVP in the playoffs, but this year's improvements are real, and it's that's, not just improvement in play. He's being set up better. That's the question, is improvement in play for Embiid doesn't matter to me at this point. The man won an MVP and has been one of the best players in the league for his entire, um, well, active 
career when he's not injured. But the injured question is the question because I don't think that is some, and I guess there could be some clutch gene that we're talking about, but it doesn't seem like that when we when we see him in the playoffs, it seems like fatigue and injuries and just like conditioning, yeah, conditioning and injuries, yeah, like fatigue, conditioning and injuries and. Obviously, the way the style of play that that well, I guess that's not true. I was going to say that changing the sight lines and changing their style is not going to make him less hurt or get him better conditioned. But I guess it could tax his body less. But more importantly to me, is there something about the way that they've changed this offense? And you already answered it kind of You said that it can carry over to the playoffs. That is going to lead to some more playoff success because I don't see... I know uh, Charlie reminded me that uh, Harden really carried them for a couple of games. Two, two games. Embiid two games. was injured in the Boston series, yeah. But I don't remember Embiid as, like, not showing up in the playoffs. Them not getting it done in the playoffs is different than him not showing up. Him being injured and him being tired is different than him not showing up. Well, well no, he's also been less effective in the postseason. I know his numbers have, have generally been fine. He's put up fine scoring and rebounding numbers, but he's someone who also really benefits from going to the free throw line. Yes. And he has not had the same ease of ease of use in the postseason there's a i don't want to call him center james harden but there has been a tiny bit of that so he gets his free throws charlie into he's a hybrid though of Shaq and james Harden. in the sense he's good at the foul grifting but he also gets fouled because he's physically dominating people right like he draws Mm -hmm. both type of fouls it's just that in the postseason the foul grifting stuff gets cut down a lot Right. And you genuinely have to beat people, beat the man in front of you. And I don't think that he's going to be incapable of that. I just don't think the Sixers are actually that much better than they were last year. And so I don't believe that they're going to get out of the second round. So the maxi evolution, I guess, versus what they were doing with Harden in the past and sharing time with Maxi, that's not enough for you to feel better about this team. The Not this season, I don't believe so. Um, and and you know they go, they go into the off season, and you know I don't want to be that person that's looking three years in the future. But like they're gonna go into the off season, they're gonna have money to improve the roster, and they can sure this thing up. And I think Maxi has even more steps to improve. You know, even after he gets paid, and so like I think they're 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 trending in a beautiful direction. I just don't think they have it. They quite have the goods talent wise right now to to compete with the top teams in my opinion and, and you know whatever like Joel Embiid might turn might turn into a supernova and do what he's doing now in the playoffs the way you know Jokic does every single year right <laughs> like maybe <laughs> maybe he'll do that but until uh. I see it like obviously I, I think Jokic is still the best player I think he's he's kind of on cruise control right now um and I think come playoff time they're going to blow the doors off of people again I, I love the Jokic cruise control numbers, by the way. It's just like when he's just chilling, it's like 20, 12, and 9, and they're winning by a, a dozen points in those games where he expends as as little dominant effort as possible to get ready for the postseason. Um, last thing I wanted to ask you guys about was the Pistons debacle. You know, the Pistons just ended their 28-game losing streak. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is like this, to me, is not the process Sixers. This is a team and a roster that has Cade Cunningham, who's the first overall pick. It has a ton of other high lottery picks. Guys we even still like, like Asar Thompson, there's Jaden Ivey, there's Durin, et cetera, et cetera. You got on the roster, they shouldn't be this bad. And they just paid Monty Williams $78 million. Um, bunch of questions here. I mean, one, Fox, I, I, want, I would love some psychoanalysis of what's going on with that team after losing that much. But also, like, 
Waz, does this change how you view Cade Cunningham and Monty Williams? Like, period, full stop? Because wins are a coach and superstar stat in the NBA. No, uh, I'm still a Cade believer. I'm still holding on to my Cade stats. I want to get to Monty Williams first because I've said this before, but it bears mentioning again. They had to beg this guy to take the job. He put mm-hmm. it out there. He said, I'm taking the year off or like when I come back, I want a veteran group, ready-made, playoff contention type of team. That's what he wanted to do. And then the owner was like, he got it in his head. He needed Monty Williams to, to coach. And it was like, yo, we'll give you, yo, we're gonna give you this much to coach. He's like, nah, I'm still good. No, but we're gonna give you this much to coach. He's like, ah, come on, man. And then they're like, no, 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 you're gonna get this much to coach. And he was like, bro, for the sake of generations of my family, I just <laughs> cannot say no to this freaking um job. Yeah. And just think about it, guys. Listeners, just think about it. You're hiring a guy for a job. He comes to the interview. And you have to convince him that he should be taking the job, okay? He's not coming and saying, oh, yeah, when I get in here, this is what I'm going to do with Cade. This is what we're going to do with Killian Hayes. Watch with Jalen Duran. But, no, he's just like, guys, like, this is not the type of job I want. Then they bowl him over and literally make him the highest paid coach in the history of NBA. So, no, I'm not – I don't begrudge Monty Williams for how things are turning out on that end. And as far as Cade is concerned, I think this roster has something to do with the um, process sixes in the sense that it doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> it's just this idea that we just draft players based on quote unquote talent and we don't give a damn about fit. Uh, Killian Hayes, nice talent, whatever. I, I think he's kind of a bust, but whatever. Uh, um, Jaden Ivey, again, super talented guy. These dudes can't shoot. They can't put the ball in the ocean from the Titanic. Same with the Thompson twin. Then they went and drafted 45 power forwards and centers. There's literally no shooting on this entire roster. Cade Cutting, as talented as he is, how's he supposed to figure out how to be an effective NBA conductor under those circumstances? Clog paints, awful spacing. Like it, the roster is so incongruent with one another. That I'm not surprised by the results is what I'm. Yeah, I think the results are so bad that I think that it's hard to make an accurate evaluation of anyone. However, it's hard to say that this don't take a toll, and I and there are there to me at least I believe, and this is like largely about how I project quarterbacks is I believe that you have to be able to buy them time. You buy mm-hmm. your superstars time by finding support for them, putting them in situations, buy them time. And I'm not sure that, and we talked about this before, there've been very few, and we couldn't think of any really quarterbacks that have been awful at, at their first stop, like high drafted guys that we put everything in to work. Awful at their first stop, they went somewhere else and turned out to be great. In part, I believe, Go ahead, Charlie. I was going to say, we have to go all the way back to Jim Plunkett to find that. Jesus in part, Christ. in part, I believe that it's in, it's in part because this is your time when you are developing your, like, your football brain or your sports brain and how you are going to be imprinted, how you're going to take on other challenges. And this is also the time when you can add and develop new parts of your game. And if there's someone there taking pressure off you, allowing mm-hmm. you to do those things, making the things easy for you, providing spacing on the floor, a coach providing a system that takes the pressure off you in decision-making. Like we just talked about with Embiid, finding new ways to make life easier for you. So now it's partially that I'm saying I'm not out on the talent, but 
I don't know that anybody can endure this for a, su- a sustained period of time in the formative part of the career and then turn out to be a superstar, to go on and be a functional role player, a contributor, a three or four on a team. If you rank the players, maybe. And that's the scary part to me is a lot of players could be potentially, well, maybe not all of them, but a few of the players like the Thompson twin and, and Cade Cunningham, like those players could be having the important developmental part of their career ruined by the fact that there seems to be no plan. And they, and they um, thought that they could buy a coach's desire, which like you can't, you can buy a coach, but you cannot turn them into someone who uh, is believes in what you're doing and committed to what's happening. So it's just a sad overall situation that they have there in Detroit. I, uh, I'm going to kind of zag a little bit. I Uh-oh, think a you lot love it? less of, I think, no, 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 no. Oh. I think a lot less of Cade Cunningham. And I think mm. that part of it, like the situation is not great, but we were promised something different with Cade Cunningham. We were po- promised someone who could shoot the basketball. We were ta- promised someone who was like a maestro in the pick and roll, partially because if you went under, he could knock down the shot. And that has certainly not been the case with him as an NBA basketball player. Like he might just be a 30% shooter who's not an elite athlete and is just like a very solid lead guard. And that's disappointing with the hype and what we thought he was going to be. And part of me thinks that like, yes, the roster is really bad. They weren't going to be a good team. But if you have someone who's a really transformative player, they won't lose 28 games in a row. We've seen that over and over again in the course of NBA history, which is that these guys start to affect winning by their third year, their fourth year, whenever. And Cade's in his third season and hasn't affected winning whatsoever, nor has he improved as a jump shooter. Yeah. I mean, I, I've I've pushed back on it, but I want to hear what was there. Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree to a certain extent, right? I don't think I don't think he's been of the Ja or Luca level mm-hmm. early yeah. on in his development. Um, I will say he missed a ton of time last year, so it's not as if he's had this incredible amount of reps. And then you add on to the fact that the context is just disgustingly terrible, right? right? Um, And so, and I think as of recently, like, you know, he dropped 41 the other day. Like, he's looking better and better even as the losses pile up. And so me, look, I, I don't think he's going to be quite as good as Luka Doncic, which, yeah, I know, sports take of the year. Um, But <laughs> I, I do think he's still got potential to be an all-star level perennial all-star level player if not you know perennial top five mvp level guy yeah so i think my pushback on you charlie is that the being a number one like overall is different between being an all-time great and so i think that's like the luca conversation i think that if you are in that atmosphere then maybe there's no situation enough for us not to be able to see that you are good. But you can still build around one of those guys who's just a tick below that. Totally. And and my point is, I think that sometimes we say winning is a superstar stat in the NBA, and I think you're probably right. But name the time when the situation was just abysmal. Like, I guess that's the problem I'm having racking my brain for a situation that there feels like there are, little to no other useful assets where the guy came in. And it's not to say that the guys weren't good, but it's possible that the situation ruined the guy. And I think we all believe that can happen. Why it's 
it just can't happen this bad. I guess is your point. You can't lose twenty eight in a row if you're That's if you're right. any kind of good. One time you're just going you go fumble <laughs> into a win sooner or later. I'm not saying like this is he should be on a sixty win team. I'm just right. saying you, you, start, you yeah. start creeping no, towards and, mediocrity and, and, look, over yeah. that time. I feel it, but also I think what gets underrated here too is the overall quality of the league. Generally speaking, yeah. I just think it's a way more talented, tougher league than it was in 2012. When it when it was when like because I was saying the other day, Michael Carter Williams led one of those process teams in points per game the one year, averaged like 17 or something. He would not play on the Pistons. That dude right. that averaged those points wouldn't play on this team. Like he wouldn't he be getting Gillian significant Hayes, minutes on this team. Okay, and he led a team in scoring one year, right? And so I think the overall talent of the league is so high that we need to take that into account when these guys are losing night after night. Like, there are, there are no nights off. I know that sound, sounds hyperbolic at times. I just think, like, it's just tougher to come by a win in the regular season these days. And, again, just so people understand, like, Cade Cunningham is not Shaquille O'Neal right he got drafted by the magic the team with the first overall pick they changed overnight just because they drafted Shaq. Shaq mm -hmm. is one of the 10 probably best players we ever seen like he's not that okay um but i think he could he's gonna be a very high quality nba player for time to come it's just the situation has to be right and again i think there's talent on this team i think um jalen duran is is talented i think Jaden ivy is talented asar thompson is top talented these guys have they have talent but i just think it just doesn't fit in a way that makes any sense and another thing that i would say just to end this off is that team like when fan bases get thirsty for these rebuilds man you go look up and down this roster and the draft pedigree of the guys on this team it's freaking ugly no better way than the end the dominique foxer show with an anti-tanking take yes, i sir. hate tanking charlie has come around to hate tankling too i'm glad wasney feels the same way don't be a professional loser thank you for <laughs> listening to or watching the dominic foxer show this has been fun thank you charlie thank you wasney thank you to all our great producers brian kevin uh megan serafina and tez we out this is the dominic foxworth show 